All right, Numbers chapter 12. And we're going to read uh, several verses here. But we'll read responsibly as we normally do, beginning together. I'll read every other verse, and then you'll join me for every other verse. We'll end together. A really fascinating story about uh, Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. Of course, Miriam and Aaron, Moses' uh, sister and brother. And so we'll look at this and then uh, talk about an interesting subject today for our message. Uh, Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 15, uh, the Word of God says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, and unto Aaron, and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation, and they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not, till Miriam was brought in again. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this Bible account. And there's tons of truths here that we could look at. But today, help us to look at the idea before us that you've laid on our hearts. Lord, you've given us so many blessings. I pray that we'd always recognize them, that we wouldn't uh, forget all the blessings and even sometimes begin to despise them but that we would recognize and be filled with gratitude at all the wonderful gifts and opportunities you give us. So help us today as we look at your word. 
uh, help us to be more like Thee. I really think this sermon could help some folks serve You long term, and the goal is to serve You till we see You. And so I pray You'd allow that to happen. And then, Lord, we pray, of course, if there's one here that's not saved, that today would be the day that they're saved. Today would be the day they're born again and know for sure they're going to heaven through faith in you. Do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. What a fascinating story. Uh, Amazing. And so uh, Miriam and Aaron were the older brother and sister of Moses. And you find a story here where they kind of rise up against their brother and begin to challenge their brother, and God steps in. You know, it's interesting when they said they were talking to other people about, the Lord, about Moses and, and challenging his leadership. The Bible says, and the Lord heard it. Let's not forget the Lord hears everything we say. Amen? And so that's why our, our words should be probably a lot fewer than they are. Uh, Proverbs says, uh, it talks about the multitude of words, there oneeth not sin. So the more we talk, the more loose we get with our words, and uh, we got to be careful with that. But here's, here's a fascinating story. And God said, Moses was faithful. Verse 7, my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. So faithfulness is great. Uh, God commends faithfulness in the scriptures. It is my goal that God empowering me and enabling me to be faithful. It should be your goal, God helping you, to be faithful. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 20, A faithful man shall abound with blessings. And so there are blessings and benefits from being faithful. That means doing the same thing right for a long time, over and over and over. There are benefits to that that other people don't get. There are benefits to staying married a long time. There are benefits to serving God a long time. There are benefits to to protecting the relationships in your family for a long time. There's benefits for being a part of a church for a long time, or a pastor being at a church for a long time, or staying at the same job for a long time, or having friends for a long time. So there are benefits that can only come through longevity. Would you agree with that? Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Well, there's a lot of that, aren't they? I'm the best. I was paying a little bit of attention. I don't have much time for sports, even though I enjoy them. But I was catching up from the uh, NBA Finals recently, and, and I didn't have time to watch games or anything, but I would go and watch highlights later. And uh, during these highlights, they're always talking about who's the GOAT, right? who's the greatest of all time. Now, in football, it's not really a question, right? We all know who that is. But... Um, in, in basketball, it's like, well, who's the greatest of all time? And there was all these guys, and, you know, uh, uh, someone recently said, well, I'm the greatest defender of all time. And then someone said, well, I'm the greatest player of all time, you know, and Kobe Bryant said it, and LeBron James said it, and, of course, then there's Michael hovering over them all. And uh, one name, by the way. You know when you got one name and you got shoes that cost hundreds of dollars? You know, and so, but, but it's all this, I'm, I'm the goat and I'm the best at this and I'm the best. And, you know, there was a couple centers talking and well, do you think you're the best center in the league? And they asked one guy that, do you think you're the best center that ever played? And he said, I don't know how to answer that. He said, he said, I think it would be disrespectful to every other center that's ever played in all the different eras for me just to say, I'm the best ever. How do you measure that? And I thought, well, that was refreshing. 
in the midst of I'm the best scenario. And one of the guys said, now we know you're the best. You're just not going to say it, right? And he could be the best, but he wasn't going to say it. And so we find this all, well, I'm the best at this. I'm the best at that. I'm better than you at this. You can find a lot of people who talk the talk. But what's really hard to find are those that walk the walk. And so the Bible talks about faithfulness. Faithful men are rare. Faithful people are, are worth a lot. And there's wonderful benefits to faithfulness. Now, we know that one of the byproducts of faithfulness is longevity. You know, when you're faithful, that means you're stable. Uh, you don't jump up and down and in and out and start and stop. It, it speaks of consistency and it speaks of longevity. But while there's many blessings with faithfulness, there are also a few pitfalls. And today I want to talk about one of the pitfalls of faithfulness that we all have to be careful of. And I want to preach a message entitled, The Danger of Familiarity. The Danger of Familiarity. So what happens is somebody is faithful, so that means they're there for a long time. Or they do the same thing for a long time. The problem is when, you're, when you do the same thing or you're at a place or in a relationship for a long time, you begin to get familiar. Uh, and what does familiarity mean? A familiarity means an intimate or frequent converse or association in company. It also means easiness of conversation. So if, if we're familiar, that means we don't have to get to know each other. And there's benefits to that. Man, I know you. I don't have to say, hi, what's your name? And where do you work? And where do you live? Some of the visitors I met today and, and some of the people that we're just getting to know over the period of time. We're still asking questions like that. I mean, some of you that have known me for 15 years, it's like, we don't have to ask that. It's like, hey, how was your week? And the truth is, I can usually tell by the look on your face what kind of, day, what kind of week you had. And, and uh, know where you're at. Because it's, it's familiar. You know, uh, you, your wife, there's an awful lot said without being said, right? Or your husband or your boss you've worked for for a long time. So this familiar, familiarity is not bad on its own. It's actually wonderful. But at the same time, if we don't steward that familiarity well, you all know the saying, familiarity breeds what? Contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. Now that phrase, the idea of that phrase was, was much older, but it was re first recorded by Chaucer in his Tale of the Melody, And that was in 1386. So we're talking about for hundreds of years people have known familiarity breeds contempt. And for a lot longer than that, people have understood the idea. Benjamin Franklin, who was known for being witty, he said, Fish... And visitors smell in three days. <laughs> Think that through. Right? You ever have someone come visit and the visit won't end? And, uh, or fish and visitors smell in three days. So here's, here's the thought for this morning. We must learn to get close to people without losing respect for them. We must learn to build deep, long-term relationships without allowing that familiarity to turn into contempt. Because sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll begin to despise the most important people in our lives. It ought not be that way. And this is where we come back to Numbers chapter 12. One reason why this story is so fascinating is this is 
uh, one of the, the main times in the Bible where Miriam is mentioned and talked about. She was a good woman. She did a lot of wonderful things. Aaron is talked about quite often. But here, Miriam and Aaron begin to speak against Moses. Now, the Bible tells us that he had married an Ethiopian woman, and they didn't like that. Remember, Jews were very bigoted. They thought Jews were the best. And by the way, God had warned them about marrying people from other cultures because those cultures would pull them away from the Lord. Here's an interesting thought, though. While Miriam and Aaron condemned the Lord for marrying the Ethiopian woman, the Lord didn't. The Lord didn't say anything to him. Here's another thought. Moses was wise enough to lead the people. And we're talking about two to three million people in a wilderness, in basically a nomadic camp where they were moving from place to place. He was wise enough to speak to Pharaoh, to stand before Pharaoh. He was wise enough to know where to lead them. The truth is they trusted him in so many ways and he had proven himself over and over, but now they felt like he was wrong. And they forgot about all the other times he was right. They trusted him with their very lives, but they didn't trust him in this decision. And so this one decision began to make them doubt his entire leadership. familiarity. See, I think Miriam and Moses, or Miriam and Aaron, forgot that Moses was special. I mean, you look at his biography, he was saved as a baby by a miracle. He was trained in Pharaoh's house by the best and smartest in the world. He was called from a burning bush by Jehovah, the great I Am. He led the people from Egypt He had helped them cross the Red Sea. He spoke to God face to face on Mount Sinai. He spoke to God as a friend. He was leading them through the wilderness. There was nobody like Moses. But wait a minute. Miriam was older. If you remember the story, she was the one who went and talked to Pharaoh's daughter when the baby was in the the water and and uh, Pharaoh's daughter came and pulled Moses out of the water, it was Miriam that went to the, the Pharaoh's daughter and said, do you want me to go find a handmaid that can feed him for you? And she said, yes. And Miriam went back to get his mother. So she's probably at least 10 years older than Moses. She probably changed his diapers. She probably fed him when he was young. She wiped his mouth. She kept him out of trouble. She babysit him. And now he's the man of God. I think she forgot he was special. And in that moment, the special relationship she had with this special man soured because she allowed their closeness to turn into contempt. God had to remind Miriam. And God did it sharply. There's a lot of things we could take out in this story, but we, we already heard that God, God hears our words. 
And then God comes and calls. It's almost like getting called to the principal's office or having a, a come to Jesus moment with mommy or daddy. You know, if you ever had in your your house or at work, some, some people are talking and they don't know you can hear them, and all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, get over here!" Yeah. Oh, what happened? What's going on? And so God comes down. The Bible says God speaks suddenly. I mean, God's on top of this. He's, "Hey, yeah. Moses, Miriam, Aaron, get over here!" Like, and he says, "Miriam, Aaron." Step forward. Imagine their eyes getting real big. Now remember when all this happened, the cloud wasn't on the tabernacle always. The Bible says when all this happened, God speaks. The cloud comes down from heaven. Boom! And you see a similitude. You see the form of God standing in the doorway. God shows up and says, get over here. This is a big deal. And the Bible begins to say God reminds them that Moses is special. He said, if I have a prophet, he said, I'll speak to them in a dream or, or visions. Which, by the way, that's how God used to do it. Thank God we have the Bible nowadays where God speaks to us through his word. And the indwelling Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait for a vision. We don't have to wait for a dream. If you want to hear God talk, open the book. And hopefully he's talking to you right now. But he said, with Moses, I speak to him face to face. He said, God said, you forgot who Moses was. The angle of the Lord was kindled. The cloud leaves, verse 10, and the Lord departed from off, or the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. So boom, the cloud comes down. God speaks, boom, the cloud's gone. And now they're all standing there, and all of a sudden Miriam looks down, and her skin is white with leprosy. Now, if you study leprosy in the Bible, it was actually a picture of sin. It was a death sentence. Once you got leprosy and it got so bad, there was no cure. And the whiteness of the leprosy meant that it was advanced. So now she looks down and she's a leper, white as snow. Aaron turns over and looks at her. Ah! She's a dead person. She is dead. It's only a matter of time. And speaking of that, now she couldn't live within the camp. She would have to live outside the camp. She couldn't have interactions with her family because leprosy was contagious. It was a death sentence. And so verse 11, And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not this sin upon us. It's interesting, they turned to Moses, the very person who they didn't trust and began to doubt his entire leadership now they turn to him for help again. And by the way, you'll find this. Sometimes the people who you help the most will be the ones that turn against you. It's a sad but true fact. And then sometimes they'll turn back to you, come back around, and we have to be big enough to say, I'm going to forgive you from the hurt and pain you caused me because I'm the person God put in your life to help you in the first place. And so Moses begins to pray. Verse 13, Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And look what happens. And the Lord said unto Moses. I wonder why Aaron didn't talk to God. Because God didn't answer Aaron like he did Moses. 
And then he tells this story. God explains if her father had but spit in her face, she'd be ashamed seven days. Which, by the way, I'm glad we don't parent like that today. Honey, do the dishes. Why do I have to do the dishes? (laughs) (laughs) And then now she's got to live outside in a tent for a week. You know, it's like, I'm glad we don't parent like that nowadays. But back then, things were a little different, amen? And so, verse 15, she was shut out of the camp seven days. And by the way, the whole, the whole company couldn't move for seven days. Sin hurts everybody, doesn't it? So not everybody was, was right involved, but the peripheral people, the lives that Miriam had touched, everybody couldn't move for seven days. And I think the Lord said that because it probably wasn't a great place to stay. It probably wasn't a resort area. Maybe there wasn't enough food. Maybe there wasn't enough water. But now they all had to wait for Miriam. And so we see the danger of familiarity. Let me show you another portion of Scripture. Uh, Number 16. And Moses is used a lot in this situation because uh, being a leader is like having a lightning rod on the top of your head. And that means whether you're a boss at work, whether you're a manager, a supervisor, whether you are uh, a parent. I mean, if if the buck stops with you, it's like having a lightning rod in your head. And if there's going to be trouble, it's probably going to come to you. Things start going wrong. People are going to blame you whether it's your fault or not. So we have to leadership is a blessing, but it also you got to be strong to carry the burdens. And here's another story where you would think the congregation would have learned from Miriam's situation, but they didn't. And now there's three more guys that get a little too big for their britches. Look at verse uh, 1 of number 16. And Korah, the son of Izhar, and the son of Kohath, and the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, uh, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. So here are three guys. So they begin to gather groups together. And we're not going to talk through this. You actually see the beginnings of rebellion and murmuring here. And it's an it's a incredible study that's perfectly true. I've seen it happen so many times. But uh, we won't go through all that. We'll just pull out this example by way of speaking about familiarity. Verse 2, And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together, watch this word, against Moses and against Aaron, And said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. So here we have the same situation. Uh, Korah, uh, (coughs) excuse me, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram were all leaders. They gather 250 other leaders out of these millions. They gather together 250 other leaders. And these were famous people. I mean, everybody would have known these names. And now you have all of these famous people, people that had been trusted with leadership. They gather themselves together and said, who's this Moses guy think he is? Well, who does he think he is? He was the one that presided over the plagues of Egypt. He was the one that saved your hide during the first Passover. He was the one that led you through the Red Sea. He was the one that that was there at the events of Sinai when you all were too afraid to approach the mountain. 
He was the one who God was using to work miracles in the wilderness. He was the one to where when God's presence was on the tabernacle, he had permission to go in and talk to God face to face when the rest of you couldn't. That's who he is. But see, in this in this moment, they forgot who Moses was. They forgot Moses is special. They said, we're leaders too. He's no smarter than the rest of us. And don't worry about that. Sometimes they do training around this time of the day during the summer. Uh, other times it, it might be something, but often we've learned over the years that, that many times it, it's training, which is a blessing. So the Lord's trying to get your attention. And so <laughs> they forgot who Moses was. They said, we're leaders too. And then notice the phrasing here. If you look at verse 3, he says, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Wherefore, lift ye up yourselves above the congregation. Well, Moses didn't ask for this gig. God called him out of the burning bush. Right? And yes, God was with everybody, but Moses was called to a special thing. So they forgot who Moses was. Here's the problem. Sometimes we get so close to people that we are reminded of their imperfections. Now, they weren't perfect back when you thought they were great either. It's just now you're close enough where you begin to focus more on the imperfections and that begins to become the whole story. And then we begin telling ourselves all the reasons why now we ought to have permission to do this and that and that. It's familiarity. And that familiarity can breed contempt. God judged them harshly. Look at verse 19. Number 16, 19. So God has them get all together. Moses said, well, God wants us all to meet. And they basically said, no, we're not going to do that. So now they're in full-blown rebellion. They're, they're full of themselves. They've got the power. They think they've got the leverage. Uh, we're not going to do that. And here's how this is going to go down, Moses. Well, finally, God tells them what to do. Verse 19, And Korah gathered all the congregation against them. Notice that word against them. This was very traumatic. This was, was aggressive. Against them, under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. So basically what happens is, is the Lord says, Okay, God's going to have to decide who's in charge here, and so we'll let God decide, so let's all meet tomorrow at a certain time. So God comes down and says, Moses and Aaron, move back, because I'm going to kill them all. I'll consume every single one of them. God's upset again. You say, why would God in love do that? Do you understand that there comes a time in a person's life where they can get so hardened, they can get so proud and so full of sin where they're going to spend the rest of their lives hurting people instead of helping people? Thankfully, God allows us all to repent and get forgiveness. Amen? We can all... But there does come a line. I'm going to tell you, there's seven lines God draws in the sand in the Scripture. He says, if you cross these lines, you're done. There is a sin unto death, John tells us. 
You can sin so much where God said, I'd rather take you home than let you keep living in this life. So thankfully, Moses and Aaron speak up, and I think God was getting everybody's attention. God knew that Moses and Aaron. And here you find the saviors again are Moses and Aaron. The very people they were trying to destroy now save their lives. Look at verse uh, 22. And they, that's Moses and Aaron, fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and will thou be wroth with the whole congregation? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get ye up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So now God's, Moses says, Lord, don't kill them all, because this is really, this is really just this group of people that's leading all of them, and, and, and don't, don't, don't kill them all. And so God says, Okay, everybody get away from the ringleaders and the 250. And eventually, we won't take time to read the whole story. You can read it later. God literally opened up the earth and swallowed up Dathan and Abiram and their families. Say, so why did he do that? It was an example to the others. Familiarity. Now you think, certainly now, certainly the Israelites now get it. Certainly they understand. The very next day they go after Moses again. Can you believe it? These are some hard-headed people. Look at verse 41. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. So now people go to bed, and they're thinking what they saw today. They saw this thing. They saw God come down in the presence, in the, the pillar. They, they saw the earth open up, but they forgot Moses saved the rest of them. They would have all been dead if it hadn't been for Moses. But now they're saying, Moses, that was a little too harsh. You were too harsh with them. And boy, isn't this true. Sometimes when a leader has to deal with something, you can't make everybody happy. Sometimes people say, well, you weren't harsh enough, or that was way too harsh. And well, thank God you weren't the one that had to deal with it. The very next day, they go after Moses again. You were too harsh with them. They didn't need to die. You could have handled this some other way. Verse 44, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get ye up from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. So now God's ready to kill them all again. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, this is frustrating. You save them all yesterday, and the very next day, they're after Moses and Aaron again. And so God says, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wipe them all out. And at one point, if you remember Exodus 32, God told Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out and start over with you. You can be my new Abraham. And Moses said, no, we can't do that because you need to keep your word and, and people will misunderstand what you're doing, uh, all of that. And so God says, okay, we'll keep it the way it is. But Moses and Aaron again are the ones that save people. We won't get into the whole story, but there's a plague that goes out from the tabernacle. People start dying in minutes. People just start falling over dying. And if you imagine the tabernacle in the middle and the way that the camp was set up, the different tribes would set some on the east, west, north, and south from where the tabernacle was, so they would all camp around the tabernacle. So if you imagine that all this, all this is happening here by the tabernacle, and so when the plague starts, it begins to go out in, in a concentric circle away from the tabernacle. The people that were against Moses again, they all began to die. So Aaron runs in and he grabs a, 
uh, uh, incense, which is basically you take some coals from the altar and you'd put it in this little pot-looking thing, and it would have smoke coming out of it, and that smoke was considered holy. It was from the altar. It, it represented prayers and different things. And so he went in there, and he grabbed uh, the, the incense, and he began running. And you can imagine people... He sees dead people. He's running away from the tabernacle. People are dead, dead bodies. He's running. And in front of him, he sees this wave of almost dominoes falling, people dying. And then there's other people just backed, millions of people. They're just backed away. And you can see there's nowhere to go. So people are dying like dominoes. And the, the living are here and the dead are here. And Aaron runs as fast as he can with that sensor. And he finally gets past the last dead person. And the Bible says that the, the death stopped. And on one side, this is where you read the story, Aaron is literally standing between the living and the dead. On one hand, there's dead people. On the other hand, there's living people. And the only person that saved their lives was the very person they were ready to stone twice in two days. Can you imagine? That's why the Bible calls them later. This is a stiff-necked people. This is a stubborn people, the danger of familiarity. We won't turn to it, but you can look at it later. A final story here, 2 Samuel chapter 6, you can look at it. The Ark of the Covenant had been gone for a while. It was at a, a house there. David finally comes back. King David's going to come back and get the Ark. They're going to take it back to Jerusalem. There's a huge parade. They get a, a brand new cart. I'm sure it was ornate. I'm sure it was nice. They take the the Ark of the Covenant, and put it on this ox-drawn cart, which, by the way, that wasn't the right way to do it. They should have had staves in it, and the priests would carry the Ark. So they're trying to do the right thing in a wrong way. You ever done that? And they end up getting themselves in trouble. And so they're, they're going along this huge parade. David's in the front dancing. There's uh, instrumentalists all around. The Ark of the Covenant is here. Well, they go through a rocky place, and the, the oxen stumble, and that cart shakes and the Ark of the Covenant begins to fall over. Now, if you remember, this is a beautiful piece of furniture, wood, special wood with ornate gold around. On the top, it had a, a lid with two angels and cherubims facing each other. That's called the mercy seat, and their wings would be like this over the, the, the top of this piece of furniture. Inside were some wonderful things, the rod of Aaron, some manna, and the first tablets. I mean, this was the holiest of holy. Matter of fact, this is the piece of furniture that in the tabernacle and in the temple is in the holiest place. And only one priest was allowed to go in there one time a year or they would die. I mean, this is the holiest piece of furniture on the planet And Abinadab, the guy whose house it had been in, that's a long story, but it had been in his house for a while. His sons had helped take care of it. One of his sons, Uzzah, was walking along the ark. Now wait, this was a, a place of prominence, a position that was blessed. Because of his familiarity with the ark, he had been taking care of it. Abinadab's house had been blessed. He got to take care of the ark and walk right beside it. Most Israelites would have given their right arm to get that close to it. Oxen are walking, big parade. The oxen hit that, and the ark begins to shake. The cart shakes, the, the ark begins to tip over. Looks like it's going to fall. Uzzah reaches out and does what every one of us probably would have done, and he steadies the ark by touching it. And in that moment, 
he died. Because nobody touches the ark. Parade stops, people weeping, crying, yelling. David comes back. It's such a big deal. They stop the parade. They put the ark in a man's house called Obed-Edom. They didn't even know how to move it. By the way, later they came back around and moved it the right way. They went and studied, and, and they moved it the right way, and God honored and blessed that. But, I mean, this was a big deal. Matter of fact, the, the place where Uzzah died, they changed the name of the place to uh, Perez Uzzah, which means a breach or a break upon Uzzah. David was not happy about this. But wait a minute. Most Israelites would have been fearful. Even watching the ark fall, it was probably so ingrained in them that this was holy, they would have stepped back rather than touch it. But Uzzah, because he had the privilege of taking care of the ark, he also forgot the rules. Familiarity. I give you those three stories to just apply this to your lives very quickly. It's a sad fact that sometimes we long for things, we even beg God to give them to us. But then after we've had them for a while, we begin to take them for granted. We're just too familiar. Think about God himself. A new Christian, they can't believe that, that God loves them. I mean, they can't believe it. New Christians, I can get up and preach a message and hoot and holler and show you verses. God loves you. What are we? Oh, man, I hope he doesn't preach long today. i got a roast in the oven. What's the difference? Oh, one's gotten a little too familiar. Think about unsaved versus children going up in a Christian home. Let me tell you something. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and my home wasn't as bad as it could have been, but it sure wasn't easy. And when I got saved, I was so amazed and thankful. When I went to bed that night after I got saved, it was like someone had lifted a, a thousand pounds off my chest. And I was like, if I die in my sleep, I'm going to be in heaven. I mean, it was like it was unbelievable. I began telling everybody about it. I mean, this is unbelievable. You mean God will save anybody? All they've got to do is ask and put their faith in Him. This is incredible. And after we're saved a while, it's like, well, I, I can't tell my coworker about Jesus because they'll think I'm weird. Really? Or a child growing up in church, or a child growing up in, in your home or my home where they go to church every week and they've never heard us cuss and swear and they've never seen domestic violence, they've never had drunkenness in the house and drugs and all that kind of stuff they begin to say wow this god stuff sure is it's restrictive it's a little bit strict i mean out there they look like they're having fun what's the difference familiarity and if you and i are careful we can get so familiar with god we begin to despise him and his gifts help us Think about the Bible. I mean, can you imagine when you first got saved? This is the Word of God. These are God's words, inspired, preserved for us, forever settled in heaven. I mean, I can open my Bible and uh, uh, amazing 
I'm looking at the words of God. And after you've been saved a while, it's like, hey, have you seen my Bible? I better take it to church. It almost becomes like an accessory. Purse, shoes, earrings, Bible. Anybody see my Bible? Well, we used to read it every day. You used to treat it like it was this special thing. Then do you ever see some Christians, and I even do this sometimes, it becomes like a filing cabinet. I mean, you got like three years of taxes in your Bible. you got like all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, remember when I first got saved, it's like nothing could go on top of the Bible. And then now, you know, you see people's stuff, and it's like, where's my Bible? Oh, it's over there under, you know, it's, it's keeping the leg of the table even. Can you hand me my Bible? You know how the table gets wobbly, and there it is right under there. Can you get that for me? We'll stick it back after church today. I mean, it's almost like, what, what, what happens? It's familiarity. We have contempt. Think about your marriage. Remember back when you wondered if you'd find someone to marry you? Remember back when you wondered if you would find that perfect mate, that one that would love you, that one that would, you could spend your life with? I mean, maybe you prayed for him. Maybe it was just like back even before you were saved, it was like this serendipitous type of thing where it's like, I can't believe this happened and, and we're together. And then, you know, you get married. It's like, this is awesome. And then some years later, it's like, you left your socks on the floor again. Do you know what a hamper is for? You know, why do you always squeeze the tube of toothpaste in the middle? You know, you're supposed to roll it up from the bottom. I mean, all these things begin to get so frustrating and we get so angry about. There is a rash of people in America right now. They've been married 25, 30, 35 years getting divorces. Why? There's a lot of reasons, but I think a big reason is you get, you get contemptuous. You, get, you begin to despise the very person that you've shared decades with and some newfangled thing comes along. Some newfangled person, or they're, they're kind to you and they're polite or maybe they look a little bit different and it's new and it's fuzzy and, and it looks fun. And you despise the person that had your babies. You despise the person that's worked their fingers to the bone to keep you alive and put a roof over your head. What in the world are we doing? It's familiarity. It's familiarity. And while familiarity should be a blessing, it becomes a curse. Think about when you wondered if you'd ever have children. My wife and I had three miscarriages before we ever had children. There came a time we wondered if we'd ever have any. And then, boy, the kids grow up and they're eating and keeping you up at night. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, if you're not careful, you'll, you'll look at yourself and or you'll be up in the middle of the night thinking, why did I have all these kids? What in the world was I thinking? What? They get to be teenagers, you know, and, and uh, everything's a problem. Everything's a Hey, good morning. Why'd you say it like that? What? 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 It's, let's not begin to despise the very things we prayed for and the most precious gifts in our lives. At the same time, children, you think just anybody in this world would take care of you like your parents do? How many people in this world are going to put a roof over your head, put food in your belly, clothes on your back, love you? And no, they're not perfect, and yes, they, they do things wrong, and they lose their cool sometimes, and they're inconsistent at times. But how many people in the world do you think would parent you? I hate my parents. Anytime I hear that, 
I, I just don't even know how to handle that. And it shows such a lack of understanding and maturity. Think about your church. We got a good thing going here. Is it perfect? No. You know why it's not perfect? Because we're not perfect. And you know, you, you come to a church, and we've got some new folks that have been coming, and they tell me, boy, Pastor, I love this church. I love this church. This church is amazing. And the people are friendly and this. And, oh, Pastor, your messages. And, boy, I got that. I've had so many people over the years say, I've learned more coming to your church in a month than I have my whole life in other churches. Uh, all of these things. And they say, oh, wow, this is so awesome. This is so amazing. And then, but what's it going to be like in a year or two? or five, or ten. Then it's, pastor's amazing, isn't he? Well, you get to know him. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what does is, what is that mean? <laughs> then I start to say that to myself. I had someone tell me recently, or, or, or some time ago, they were visiting, and they said, wow, this is so awesome. They said, I just, one of these days, I'm just going to turn on my TV, and I'm going to see you. You're going to be on my TV. He, they said, I, I'm so worried that one of these big churches is going to come up and swoop you away and steal you away from us. You're not going to leave us, are you? And I'm like, let's see how you feel in a couple of years. You know, this is how I talk to myself, because it's like, I know how this thing works. But folks, it's not a perfect church, and it never will be. But do you realize that there are churches all over New England that would give almost anything within reason and right to have what's going on here this morning? The number of people, the way you sang those songs, the buses, the kids downstairs, the people we've seen saved, the visitors in churches. We've had visitors every week now for for some time, we have them almost every week uh, during the year. I mean, people saved consistently. Uh, are you kidding me? I get, I get tired of myself. Don't get me wrong. And I mean, sometimes we just got to look at each other and say, I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to choose to see the good. But whenever we get lazy and we get so familiar with each other, you can throw good things away. Think about your job. How many people have been in our community over the last few years looking for a job? And some of you have good paying jobs with benefits and time off, and you hate it. I mean, every you're, you're going to go to work tomorrow and grumble all the way there and grumble while you're there and take your big fat paycheck while you're grumbling and go live in your nice house while you're grumbling. And there's somebody else that will say Wednesday night, pray for me, preacher. I need a job. I'll do almost anything. What's the difference? Because one of them says, I'm hungry, and anything tastes good. And like Proverbs says, but if you eat too much honey, you start to get sick of it. And some of us are living off milk and honey, gifts from the Lord, and it's like, oh, this, this milk and honey is awful. Oh, it's terrible. It's familiarity. And lastly, I'll just say, think about beauty. How many times do people say, well, life stinks, life's not worth living? I want you to walk out these doors in just a couple minutes 
and you look up at that sky and you feel the warmth of the sun and you feel that wind on your face and you smell the scents and you see the beautiful greens and the, the blues and the whites and the trees and the flowers and you stand outside and for a moment you realize that you are alive that God has given you life, that you are a unique being that God made. You're going to live forever, and He puts you in this wonderful world, and maybe you're not driving the car you want to drive, and you're not living in the house you want to drive, and you got problems, and you're, maybe you've not been feeling well, and all of those things. But stop for a minute and realize that life is beautiful. You're just too used to life itself. And sometimes we all just need to take a step back. And say, Lord, help me to remember what I have. How do we do that? First, you stay close to God. Keep a tender heart with people. Don't, don't let your heart get hard, angry, bitter, unforgiveness. Practice thanksgiving. When your spouse does something foolish, say, you know, I thank God I've got a spouse. Thank God you've been with me this long. Thank, thank God that you put up with me. You know, when the kids do this, say, Lord, I remember a day when I didn't know if I'd ever have kids. Help me be the best mom I can be. Help me be the best daddy I can be. I thank God for, you know, you practice thanksgiving. If you can look at the ark and say, wow, I can't believe the ark gets to live in my house. Versus, oh, yeah, that's the ark of the Lord. What about it? Learn to see the blessings in everything. And then familiarity becomes a wonderful blessing instead of a curse. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we've spent a little bit of time this morning talking about these things. Hopefully it will be an encouragement to people. Pray, Lord, that you would work on hearts. Help us not ever get over the glory of being saved, the glory of knowing you, the, the blessings of a church, the, of a spouse, family, children, friends church members, preachers, the Bible, salvation, prayer, all of these things that, that just get so ho-hum in our lives. Help us to marvel at it once again. Help us to be in awe of you and your goodness. Help us to practice thanksgiving and see blessings everywhere and reject the negativity and, and, and nitpicking and, and scorn that so many people grab a hold to. Fill our lives with faithfulness. Faithful people, help us be faithful. Help us get close to people without despising them. Help us accept your blessings without forgetting what a blessing they are. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. In just a moment, we'll have an invitation like we do every week. The piano will play. We'll stand. Some folks will come forward. If you're here this morning not sure you're saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you from the Bible how you can know for sure you're saved. There's no reason in the world why you have to wonder about where you're going to go. The Bible's clear. Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. He rose again the third day. Whosoever will may come. You can be saved today if you're willing to humble yourself, admit your sin, put your faith in Jesus.